Hello and welcome back, everybody. It's a spring-infused welcome to the Crash Podcast, which is usually all about clinical radiology academics speaking honestly. I'm your host, Tom Termazai, consultant radiologist in Norwich, and the Royal College of Radiologists Röntgen Professor from 2020. We hope that you enjoyed the last episode when we talked with Tristan Barrett from Cambridge about his plans for the 2022 Röntgen Professorship. Now, you may have noticed the extended runtime for that episode, but this was because we really wanted to share Tristan's thoughts on the state of play and future for the integrated academic training pathway in radiology. These are so relevant to the podcast mission that we had to include them in an extended discussion. So please do check that out for some invaluable insights from someone closely involved in mentoring and developing our academic radiologists of the future. But now, back to this episode. It's all hands on deck as we continue our journey cutting through the clear waters of 2022. After all that stormy weather earlier in the year, in this episode we're planning to cast anchor in a calm bay of reflection and set up a parlay with the team behind Radiant, the radiology academic network for trainees. So as we try to find our bearings, let me consult the navigation charts and sextant mm-hmm, and make sure that we're on course. And yes, I can see two bright stars rising and one supergiant alongside them. It's my absolute pleasure to introduce our guests. First, Anmol Ganji, who is currently a locum consultant radiologist at Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge. Nanmol studied medicine in Aberdeen and then worked as a junior doctor in Edinburgh before starting radiology training at the opposite end of the UK in Portsmouth. She has recently completed gastrointestinal subspecialty training, including a fellowship at St. Mark's Hospital London, and has been co-chair of Radiant since 2020, before that, secretary and vice chair. Hi, Anmol. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Next, uh, we welcome Nathan Chan, who is an interventional neuroradiology fellow at the Royal London Hospital. He studied medicine at Cambridge and worked as a junior doctor in London and Singapore before general radiology training in Norwich. He is currently completing the PAN London Neuroradiology Fellowship and has been chair slash co-chair of Radiant since 2019. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. And finally, with them, the inestimable Margaret Falk-Cracks, Professor of Medical Imaging at University College London and a consultant radiologist at University College London Hospital. Margaret was the RCR Röntgen Professor in 2017 and in 2021 was awarded the Junior Radiologist Forum Trainer of the Year Award for her outstanding commitments to the teaching, supervision and mentorship of radiology trainees. And she has been the Director of Radiant from its inception. Hi, Margaret. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Tom. Nice to be here. Excellent. Right. I'm looking forward to hearing all about the history, the current state and the future plans for Radiant in due course. But Anmol, let's just start with you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and how you came to be where you are today. So I loved radiology quite early on in medical school and it was little things like seeing the psoas shadow on an x-ray in the first year of uni was enough to inspire me to do radiology. And the more I did in terms of projects at uni, the more I developed an interest in doing projects, learning about research and radiology and it all went hand in hand before I started training. Um, I ended up doing a, a BSc in medical imaging that propagated it even further, although that was in breast imaging, not GI imaging, which I'm um, doing now. And I think going through training as a radiologist, I've realized that learning about new things and research go hand in hand. And I think that's kind of taken me to where I am now. So curiosity about research, my love for radiology, in particular GI imaging, I just kind of catapulted into Radiant and current co-chair with Nate. Thanks so much for that background. It's really interesting to hear straight off that you think that the learning and the research go hand in hand, because many people would see them as very different things. But I'm sure that there is lots of commonality then and between the two in which you have skills you take from one that you take to the other field. So that's really interesting to hear. So we've come to that part of the podcast where everyone gets the chance to walk the plank of integrity and reveal their true colours as they dive into the crash test. Now, let me dry off the frankly ancient crash test grid. Anmol, you're going to be up first, having given your introduction. Big breath, no holding back, and off you go. Can you tell me which number you would like to pick first? Number 10, please. I can see Margaret is looking pretty awestruck in the background. I think she's already not looking forward to hers. Okay, how many pets do you have? None at the moment, but I did used to have 15 koi fish, which 
ended up, I think, going down to nine at one point. Okay, so they tend to drop off quite quickly, these ones, or do they survive a long time? Um, they're supposed to survive for years and years, but I think struggled with taking care of them for a bit. And they died one after the other. So I think we had a fungal infection, bacterial infection, and hypoxemic brain injury. And well, did you barbecue them? No, I didn't. I, I had to, I buried them in the garden. It was really bad. And then when I was moving house, I had to dig up a bit of my plants. And I was like, hope the new owners don't find all these dead koi in the garden. So we know what the level is there. I was going to say, what about Friday night fish? But and then I thought, mm, maybe not. But Margaret went straight there. So <laughs> that's good to know. OK, why don't you go for your second one, Amal? Um, number three, please. Do you have any phobias? I do. I'm terrified of mice. I had a quite a bad situation, I think, back in F1 or FY2 when I found one uh, in my bed. Um, I know of all places I've never thought I would find a mouse in my bed and had to move out for a week, get a flat completely cleaned out. And to this day, um, absolutely terrified. I even tried hypnotherapy, which I think uh, ended up being such a funny thing for me. It helped me um, get over it. Wow. I don't know what to say. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Let's go for number five. Digital or analog? Digital. You stumped me, Tom. Digital. <laughs> okay. Fine. Next one. Number 12. What's your favorite shoe designer or brand? I think I have one. Uh, I've probably been wearing the same pair of boots I have for the last four or five years. Clark's. They do me well. Yep. Yep, fair enough. And your last one? 13, please. What's your best lockdown listen? I have no idea, Tom. Any podcasts, music, anything? No, I don't know that. Just, nope. Nope. Nothing, Flash nothing. podcast, hint, hint. Yes. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, well, well, we got there, didn't we? Yeah. I'll take that as the answer. Thank you very much, Nathan. I mean, Amal, thanks very much for doing the crash test. Thank you, Tom. Okay, so Nathan, let's come on to you. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and how you came to be where you are today? So uh, I graduated university, wasn't really sure what to do with myself, did F1 and F2, thought about neurosurgery, went abroad to, to Singapore and worked there as a neurosurgical SHO. And then I came back um, having realized that i I had always wanted to do radiology, and I thought this is a good time to get into that. Um, neurosurgery wasn't really for me, uh, and I joined radiology thinking I'd do MSK, uh, like yourself, Tom, um, and, and uh, Prof, and then uh, ended up doing interventional neuroradiology somehow. Uh, I think I got inspired by some of the people I met, um, and I was in Norwich, had a really great time there doing ST1 to ST3. The training program there was fantastic and then moved to London for interventional neuro because unfortunately there is no interventional neuro program in Norwich. And that brings me to the Royal London and um, having a great time here. Yeah, well, that's some interesting points picking up about the heterogeneity of um, training opportunities that are available around the country. I know in Norwich, we'd love to be able to offer that, but that comes in line with the services that we provide. And, you know, I know that we're trying to do lots of stroke development, et cetera, but maybe that's a theme that we can tap into as to what Radiant is able to offer is something that may not be available at all centers. Okay, right. But you are now going to make yourself available, whether you have left Norwich or not for the next part of the crash test. Awesome. Uh, number one, please. How many languages can you speak? Okay. Uh, how many languages can I speak well? So I can certainly, well, I hope speak English. Uh, Cantonese is the language they speak in Hong Kong, which is where my parents are from. And I can just about manage that. Uh, and then I'm learning Mandarin. So I could probably manage uh, a simple conversation on most things in Mandarin, but I can't fully read or write it yet. So something I'm working on. Excellent. Yes, yeah. yeah. Good and stuff. a little bit of French, hopefully, um, which I definitely want to improve on. So I did learn that throughout childhood, uh, but I seem to have forgotten some of it. So maybe that's something else I can work on. Okay. Would you like to pick your next number? Sure. I'll go for number two, please. What is your hidden talent? Oof. Hidden talent. Oh, I like skiing. Um, skiing is certainly something that uh, I really really enjoy and I try and do as much as I can. Um, so I've been skiing since about three and I did ski for the university when I was at Cambridge. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's what it is, yeah. Good stuff, is your ACL still intact? <laughs> so far, although I'm avoiding moguls uh, for the foreseeable future. Okay, good, very sensible. Right, next one. I'll go for number six, please. What's your favorite cheese? Ooh, I quite like uh, a hard cheese. So like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, Gruyere or uh, Comte. Both, yeah. both really nice. Yeah. yeah, it's been a very alpine couple of answers here. I can see, uh, yeah, which part yeah, of the world yeah, you yeah, like to focus true, yeah, on. Yeah. Next, it'll be Swiss chocolate uh, or, uh, or clocks uh, or something <laughs> like that. But anyway, okay, next one. 
I'll go for number seven, please. Uh, what's your favorite pick and mix, sweet? <laughs> oh, it's uh, a tough one. Jelly babies, maybe? I'm not sure, really. I don't really know many pick and mix sweets. They didn't have that when I was growing up. Yeah, well, that's a good thing because they're, they're deadly for your teeth. So fair <laughs> enough. Uh, and Moz just said cola bottles. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, I that's a go- good call, actually. Cola yeah, yeah. I, I would go with the red shrimps. I just absolutely love those. Um, right, okay, uh, your oh, last sour one. Sour cherries. I take that back. Sour cherries. I like sour cherries. Fantastic. Nailed it. Good. Okay, last one. Okay, I'll go for number 16, please. Did you have any recurring dreams as a child? If you just like to lie back on the couch and just tell us all about those. I'm going to go with no. Um, not really, no. <laughs> really? Okay. I mean, I was nope. interested about this because I have had like the big chased by dogs falling from the sky yes naked down the high street i used to have all those <laughs> dreams vividly and i just think does, does anyone else have those no uh, it's just you yeah. tom <laughs> no, no, no. yeah I, I still have them and one of them is just flying so dad lifted me up and floating and i still believe i can float when dad lifts me up yeah yeah well i, th- I think i can lucid dream into that state of flying as well it's awesome Check it out. It's not bonkers, although it does sound a little bit crackpot. Um, so let's move back into the realm of the same. Nathan, thanks ever so much for doing the crash test. Fantastic. Really appreciate opening thank yourself you, up you. there. Okay, let's move on, Margaret. And um, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you came to be where you are today. I'm expecting a slightly longer story. Uh, well, I will try and truncate it. I started off at training. I, I was at Cambridge and then I came to London doing my clinical. Um, I then did a whole load of jobs, which one did at that time, because you had to have membership or FRCS to get into radiology. So I did MRCP and then I got into radiology and I just loved it. I mean, it was actually as radiology was really taking off, you know, ultrasound was beginning to happen. You know, CT happened. And then I actually left the training scheme to go and learn some MR. Um, because, you know, I was basically invited, if you go and learn some MR, you can come back and run the Middlesex um, MR scanners. So I went off to Great Ormond Street for three years and did my um, doctorate there, um, working on solid abdominal tumors in children. And, but I, I think I have always really loved research. And the reason I do it is because I've got this why, why, why in my brain, and it just drives people nuts. Um, and it drives me nuts. But I'm always saying, why, why, why? Why is that happening? Why does that look like that? And, and that's what sort of, um, can't we do this better? Can we do this differently? Um, and, and really, that's what research does. It helps you improve things. And it makes you a better doctor. I think there's lots of evidence that shows that. So I then took over the MRs, I ran the MR scanners. And then MR, of course, continued to grow and grow and grow. And from doing everything in MR, you then end up specialising in bits and pieces. And I did um, quite a lot of neuro in those days, working on HIV, because Middlesex had a big HIV cohort. And of course, that disease disappeared. So what do you do next? Well, I did breast MR and helped really set up um, MR breast in the UK with some other people like Ruth Warren. And then... um, our academic breast unit just collapsed overnight, literally overnight, was there one day, gone the next. Uh, and so I sort of looked around for another area to work with. And the thing that I always really enjoyed is working with the adolescent rheumatologists um, because they had this big JIA cohort. And so I then started doing my research with them and it sort of went from there to there. So, you know, it's, it's sort of more of a meander than, than intentional. Um, And I just sort of followed my nose about what was interesting. The great thing that happened to me is that the BRC happened at UCLH. And what that did is it gave me two BRC sessions. That was eight hours a week, which I could dedicate to research. And that happened in 2011, something like that. So that then gave me the time to start, you know, sort of supervising, getting postdocs, getting PhD students, um, writing grants and stuff like that. And I would say that if you want to do research seriously, you do need time. And then, you know, you sort of get involved in a bit of this and a bit of that. And I eventually decided to do the Rungan professorship. And that led to being on the academic committee, which to being asked to do Radiant. 
Well, thanks ever so much, Margaret. And I think it's really interesting to hear that, and again, I think relevant to the theme of Radiant, that your research has moved and that there is an evolution. You have to change sometimes what you do in research. And I'm, I'm sad to hear about the collapse of the breast unit. Uh, I didn't know, but unfortunately that does sometimes happen. But, you know, as a survivor, as someone that wants to ask those questions, it's fantastic to see that you've taken that throughout your entire career and you've had the conviction to do that. I'm now going to hope that you don't say why, why, why when I ask you to do the last bit of the crash <laughs> test okay which number would you like well i wanted seven but it's gone so i'll have 11 ah uh, here we go how many times margaret have you failed your driving test no escaping this one please uh once what? And i only failed it the guy was really trying because i didn't read the last page of the um driving you know manual and on the last page, it had, if you have an accident, you have to um, exchange, you know, um, details. So, and I didn't know the answer to that. So I said, well, you know, I'd call the police. So the guy said to me, well, the police aren't around. Um, so I said, I'd find a phone box and phone the police. And he said, no, you're in the middle of Dartmoor. What are you going to do? I said, um, don't know. So he had to fail me because apparently you have to know what happens if you have a crash. Oh, big old meanie. Oh, go up. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to ask everyone. This is the one that we ask everyone on the Crash podcast. So, Anmol, how many times did uh, you fail? None. Passed first time. None. Good. And you notice I don't ask how many times people, uh, how many times it took people to pass. I'm very negative about this question, Nathan. So, how many times did you fail expectantly? Ooh, um, I think I failed twice actually. Once was a speed limit change. And uh, once was, I can't remember what the other one was. I think I didn't follow directions or something. You yeah. just blanked that out. Just not, don't want to even think about it. Good. Okay, well, look, well, thank you ever so much um, for sharing. It always says so much about, uh, about everyone doing that one. But uh, Margaret, back to you. Um, you've got a couple more to choose. I will have 15. <laughs> okay. Um, who was your childhood pop star crush? Oh, I didn't really have one. Because we lived in Uganda and there weren't any pop stars. Oh, wow, oh, that's fascinating. Well, that saves me from trying to su suggesting and getting the era wrong, like the Osmonds or something. Like no. Just probably totally wrong. No, um, no, we, uh, just didn't, we didn't have pop music. We didn't have radios. We didn't have. I'd love to talk about that that history a bit more if we get a chance at some point. But um, okay, look, you have to go to the next one. Uh, I will have nine. What has been your best fancy dress outfit? Well, I made for my daughter a really good fancy dress outfit, which was a sewing box. So it was her dress and everything was sewn to it, like, you know, a packet of needles. Um, there were thread, there were bits of fabric, there was um, a tape measure, all of that sort of stuff. So she went as a sewing basket and it was great. Well, that's and she won. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulously creative. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Amazing. And that's all I had to hand was the same basket. Um, no crepe paper in our house. Uh, oh, number fantastic. four. Number four. OK. If you could spend an evening with anyone from history, who would that be? Jane Austen. Straight down the line. OK. And uh, last one. Uh, 14. A big night out or quiet night in? Oh, you know me. I just party, party, party. <laughs> incorrigible <laughs> good good okay look uh, margaret thank you ever so much for doing the crash test uh, that was fantastic but that does leave one left because there's an odd number of guests on the podcast so that leaves me with number eight um which author do you reread the most well yeah technically that's got to be jrr talking constantly rereading them and also to my kids right now so there we go oh shaking heads from margaret not a fan no i don't like all that fantasy stuff fair enough okay <laughs> Let's now move on to the main podcast discussion. And Margaret, let's just come back to you because you've been there from the beginning. What was your recollection of the first ideas of what would become Radiant and why do you, was it needed? So I think the impetus to do this actually came from Stephen Smy and the NIHR because they felt that radiology, which was in his remit, were lagging behind some of the other specialities that had training networks. And I think there was this feeling at that time that lack of networks was impeding translation of research into clinical practice. 
So I, you know, what they wanted was to see a group of radiologists come through. And of course, there were very few academic radiologists and we needed more academic radiologists. Um, and we wanted them to get to know each other so that they would create relationships and do research together. And also just raise the profile of research amongst radiologists. So it was really to facilitate um, doing research and because the NIHR wanted to see some form of network. So they went to Vicky Go, who was and is the chairman of the academic committee. And she just pointed the finger at me and said, can you get it up and running? So I did. What year was that? About 2018. Okay, so almost four years ago now, we have definitely come a, a very long way. Um, Nathan and Anmol, let's bring you in. Anmol, when did you first get involved and how did you get involved? So I wasn't on the initial committee. Um, I think it was a project, the first x-ray prog- project that we had on abdominal x-rays. Um, I just volunteered to collect data for Portsmouth. And then there was a call out for um, committee members. And I remember applying at that time for the secretary position. And I got that. And then subsequently, that's just uh, progressed to getting involved with more of the committee as vice chair and then chair. I also had a role with the regional network as well as Radiant Rep um, back in I think 2019. You had some experience of having a, a BSc intercalated with your undergraduate studies. So you were familiar with some um, elements of research. But uh, why did you think Radiant was a good idea? You're clearly drawn towards it. Yeah, I think it was curiosity. Um, I think a lot of the research I do is all about curiosity, seeing what happens, where it goes. And it was, I think it was Vicky Go that talked about it at the RCR Research Day, which prompted me initially, because she tried to gather interest at that time. And I thought, this is a great idea. Um, I'll try it, see if I get a position. I didn't really expect to get a position at all. I thought there would be so many radiology academics already out there that I didn't have a chance. So I thought I'd try for one of the low-hanging fruits, a secretary position. If I get it, great. Um, I wasn't really aiming to get <laughs> Backing it. Backing yourself there, yeah. <laughs> no, I genuinely wasn't. But I thought it'd be a great initiative to encourage people to do radiology uh, and especially research, do research. And I think working in DGH, the Portsmouth's a very big DGH, and there are not many academics around, it would give trainees like me the opportunity to get involved with research when when we're not really linked or have close ties with a tertiary centre that can help with that. Tom I was just going to say that's very much part of the ethos of Radiant is it's not to develop um, academic radiologists in academic centres it's actually to raise the amount of of research that people are doing in non-academic centres that's I mean you know that the academics can join but it's providing opportunities for people where there are few local opportunities. Often there's lots of very keen people who are prepared to help. But, you know, if you're a busy DGH consultant radiologist, you haven't got time to set up a research programme and involve your juniors. Um, whereas, you know, they are, we've got lots of people who um, have time to support their juniors. But I mean, it's very much part of what we wanted to do was to involve Anmol, people like Anmol. And of course, she's gone on to get more and more academic as with her more, with her increasing involvement in Radiant. Yes, so this is very much like the terrible phrase, levelling up, that we've sort of hinted at with the heterogeneity in training when it was, for example, interventional neuroradiology, very specialist. Research, you know, can be regarded as very specialist. But yeah, we'll come on to discuss this more about what effect this this has had and what it might do in the future. Nathan, I wanted to ask you the uh, the same question. How and why did you first get involved with Radiant? And and why did you think it was a good idea? Thanks, Tom. So actually... Similar to what Prof said, I was working in a DGH um, where there are research opportunities available, but I wanted to learn more about research um, and Radiant just seemed like a nice way to do that. And it seemed really fun um, just meeting other people outside of your own training scheme. So I went to the RCR meeting, um, so the first Radiant meeting at the RCR back in March 2019. Um, and then things just went on from there and eventually I applied for the chair position uh, and joined the first committee with Anmol. So you mentioned the first meeting in 2019. Was that when the three of you, along with the rest of the team, first met together? I don't think Anmol was there, Mm. um, but I I did meet Prof then, yeah. I was there. And what kind of things did you think about um, at that time as to what you wanted Radiant to grow into? I didn't really have much of an idea, to be honest. I just thought it would be great to see where it went. Um, and it would be great just to get more people involved. And like what, like what Prof said, uh, it's great to get people from all over involved. And actually, a lot of the big academic centers you know, have ACFs or people that are more interested in research that are often doing their own thing. 
And actually it's all the other trainees that would want to join Radiant. Although we have had some ACFs come and approach us now and, and want to get involved, which is great. So I think this is an interesting perspective on how one then sets up this. Margaret, it's not easy to do from nothing. What, from your perspective, what did you see as the essential steps at the outset of getting this up and running? Well, I think that um, it was all baby steps and it was exploiting your friends. So it was just starting small. So we decided to involve something like five training centers where we knew people who would be committed to supporting us and asked them if they could bring keen trainees to the meeting. Um, and in that meeting, that first meeting in March 2019, we had a very structured meeting talking about how Radiant would be structured, you know, how we would have SMPs, how we would try and organize projects and so on and so forth. So we had quite a structured meeting to start with and people turned up and, you know, we wrote some SOPs just to get it past the college um, because they like SOPs and stuff like that. And what really happened next was it, it being entirely organic. So rather than having this rigid structure, what we've done is we've responded to needs. So, for example, the committee now has lots of people who are on the committee, but they don't have proper posts, you know, like secretary or treasury or something. It really doesn't lend itself to that sort of structure. What it is, it's a group of people who want to go in the same direction and support the work that Radiant's doing. And that's what we've got now. So we've now got people on board who support the website. We've got other people on board who will support the stats. And so from really being just a very small network with a tiny little first project, which was about abdominal x-rays, we've expanded into multiple projects. We just had a paper provisionally accepted by radiology. We've had quite a few outputs. And of course, radiant members can put those on their CV and put it on their portfolio. Um, so, you know, it has a lot of purpose in terms of supporting people's academic needs um, within the college. Yeah, I mean, it is very organic. and But of course, it's only happened because we were able to identify juniors who really committed to this and worked on it and made it happen. I mean, if we'd had a bunch of people who basically did nothing, Radiant wouldn't have happened. So we were very lucky to have people like Nathan and Anmol who've given their all really to get this up and running. So, I mean, that gives us a sense of what, you know, the, the driving force was behind making the network develop successfully. But what kind of challenges do you remember from the earlier stages that you had to overcome? I don't think there were that many challenges. It was, I mean, no one was actually saying you can't do this. It was more about what people were prepared to do for us. So it was sort of egging them on and saying, of course, you can give us a bit of money. Of course, you can give us some time. You know, of course, we can have a meeting free of charge and stuff like that so it was just persuasion and I don't think anyone has ever stood in the way and said you can't do this I think the college everybody in uh, Radiant um, and lots of the training members and also the consultant supporters around the network have just you know gone for it and been really helpful so they're not really any challenges. Anmol, tell us about when you first joined and what you saw as the setup as you as you came to the Radiant setup um, last out of the, the three of you. I think that was back in 2019, so I'm trying to recall what it was like back then. But I guess it's like when you start anything new, you don't really have a set structure or idea of what everyone's roles are. So I think we were still trying, trying to do things trial and error. Uh, building relationships because um, we didn't really know each other. I, Nate and I have actually never met in person. Um, mm, so it's yes. things like that. When you start anything off, it's just getting a bit of an idea of what's happening, what your responsibilities are, who's going to deliver work, who isn't. And Nate's been excellent all the way through this. So um, very supportive, um, very good relationship with Prof all the way through this. So there's always that support at the end of a phone call or a very prompt email reply. Um, so I think it was more about finding our feet, what we wanted. And a lot of it, like Prof has said, has been very organic. Trial and error, things have just developed with time. I can't remember having a set aim right at the beginning. We had projects that came up and about and things have just developed with time. 
when you first approached, then, of course, you said that the relationships all developed, you got to know each other, that really helps um, the teamwork element. But did you have any mentors from locally and from Portsmouth that you turned to to talk about what to do, how I'm going to get over get over this this hump or what, what to bring to the table and what ideas you might bounce off each other? Um, we did have a consultant, we still do have a consultant lead for Portsmouth, but I think a lot of the consultant leads, and it's something that we're going to bring up in our annual meeting, um, haven't been that involved with Radiant per se. And I think that's something that we want to develop in the future. And I think it was a similar thing in here where I guess they didn't necessarily know what their role was or how to contribute to uh, Radiant. And I think that's something that we probably do need to establish uh, going forward. But I can't remember necessarily going back to that they did suggest a couple of projects that we could take forward so that was one of the things I think that's in the motivation for some of the consultants joining is you know this is a project I quite like can we roll this out nationally or you know I'm part of this organization can you help be a radiant to do this yeah, so I'll make my declarations because actually I was very kindly invited in 2019 to come and sit and watch what was going on. And, and in fact, Nathan and I were in the same training scheme. And from my perspective, I just sort of pretended to give some advice to Nathan, but he seemed very much clear in the vision. And I was having some expert mentorship and, and guidance from, from Margaret and the rest of the group. But I mean, from my perspective, it has been amazing to see this grow. And one of the things that I just thought would be really difficult was to grow that network. So Nathan, can you tell us how did you reach out initially to build that network? So actually, the first project helped to build the network. I think it's always great to have a project to focus on to bring people together. And then after that project, we had some members already. So then we advertised Radiant through that network. And we also reached out to the TPDs at the various training schemes. And we made contact with the JRF and then eventually developed a Twitter presence as well. And that first project was which one? The abdominal x-ray audit? Precisely, yes. Yeah. So it was the abdominal x-ray audit, which was a multi-center audit, looking at the use of abdominal radiographs in the setting of acute abdominal pain. And the main finding was that patients with an abnormal finding on the report of the radiograph were equally likely to go on to have further imaging within seven days as those that had a normal report. So this is a really interesting feasibility study and network building. Margaret, I'll come to you in this, because what we've got here is a project that should be really quite straightforward to do. But the, the difficulty, the step to understand whether it would work or not would be the network and involvement from multiple centres. Margaret, would you want to tell us a little bit about how you saw that as a point that would be critical to growing Radiant? Uh, I think a number of the people that came to that original meeting were people who took part in that original audit. And then they, of course, involved other people in their training scheme. And if you got at all involved in anything to do with Radiant, we grabbed you as a member. So, you know, suddenly we had a few more members and then those members tell their mates. And so there is this sort of growth, um, you know, and we advertise, do you want to be involved in this project through, you know, various media um, and, you know, people want to be involved in a project. So it's this, you know, that is, again, this very sort of organic growth. And I think people have become interested in Radiant because we have, proved, we have produced some results. I mean, people have got publications, you know, they've got presentations, they've got their names on papers. And I think for them, that's really worthwhile. In addition, we provide people opportunities for developing their leadership skills, their, you know, their project organisation skills. And one of the things we're doing at the moment is we've created an expert group, which are people who are more knowledgeable, um, who will then advise. So, for example, if you have a group who are going to do a project um, and they don't feel they have the right skills, they can now look at our expert group and say, oh, there's the statistician, there's the person that can do research design, that's the person that knows about surgery you know, and so on and so forth. So as well as developing a network, we've tried to develop um, an infrastructure to support people's academic aspirations. Well, what's quite clear, and you've, you've mentioned the words responsiveness and organic and, you know, meeting the needs, is that there seem to be some deficiencies, again, it's very pejorative, but there's, there are gaps in the provision across training schemes that, that are available. And I know from, you know, conversations that we've all had and what we understand about 
what Radiant is fulfilling, that mentorship and statistics are particular areas which need addressing. And Amol, I was just thinking, just coming to you, are there any other areas where you think Radiant has been able to offer that guidance or where it should offer that guidance in the future? Radiant is rapidly growing and recently we did a little survey at the RCR Research Day to find out what trainees wanted from Radiant because a lot of it's been stemmed by our committee and what we think should happen and a lot of trainees from that output were interested in having a resource or some sort of signposting of where to go to do research, get help for research and I think that's something that we'd like to develop in the future is have all of this sort of information on our website. So Radiant would be the first protocol for any radiology trainee within the UK or further afield, because there aren't that many other uh, radiology research networks uh, out with the UK. Um, they have that resource. Yeah, Nathan, coming from what Amal just said, what do you think the strategy using, you know, social media and the website and the internet should be for Radiant to maximize engagement and productivity? Thanks, Tom. So we're continuing to improve our website. As uh, Prof mentioned, we're developing an expert panel and that's going up there. We're trying to put more resources on there to help people who are looking for pointers in terms of how to get involved with projects or how to take projects forward. In terms of social media, Twitter is something we've been working on. Uh, I'm a bit of a dinosaur and I'm not really on Twitter, so <laughs> I might have to pass that question to Anmol, um, who could probably tell you a little bit more about that. Yeah, Anmol, do you head that up, that part of the operations? I think what I've been trying to do is keep my Twitter quite a professional, so it ends up being the outlook for anything Radiant related. And you probably noticed that, Tom, yourself, when you're retweeting very kindly everything that we've put through for Radiant. Um, I think I noticed quite a big growth. So initially you get a bit of a couple of retweets, couple of likes but things like winning the prize at BSTI and this annual meeting that we're uh, currently advertising and getting um, people to attend it this big really big uptake and it's really nice to see that it's very satisfying getting engagement from UK trainees and even further afield to attend things like this I, I don't think I would have imagined that maybe a year or two years ago at all yeah, I think the Royal College of Radiologists, credit to them, have also realigned their engagement strategies. And I hope that they will support you in terms of the dissemination um, through networks and um, in engagement with things like the Junior Radiologist Forum, Society of Radiologists and Training. It is all about reaching out. But the problem is, of course, you sort of reach messaging saturation point. And I, I just wonder if there are any strategies that this is to anyone for catching those people when they come in at ST1, who won't have necessarily have been soaking in those networks. And then you really want to bring them in and you want to let them know straight away. So what kind of ideas have you got that you might be able to catch them straight away? Uh, one thing I was going to say is that we do have some issues about data protection. So, for example, we would have quite liked for the college just to hand us over uh, you know, the information of all the trainees. But because of data protection and stuff like that they don't want to just hand that out to us because you know what would be easy for us would be to send emails or tweets or whatever to every trainee in the UK but you know they haven't let us do that so the only people we're allowed to contact are people who are already members so spreading to un unknowns is is a challenge for us we're only allowed to contact the people who are already radiant members so we can't contact training radiologists who are not members because we don't have their contact details. And the college, quite rightly, in many ways, won't give it to us. Anmol, you wanted to say something there. It's exactly what Prof is saying. So if I wanted to contact uh, and reach every single radiology trainee across the UK and let them know, for instance, about this annual meeting, I'm restricted to doing this via Twitter, uh, emailing all the TPDs, and they've kindly sent that across to all their trainees, but some of them get bombarded with several emails and, you know, that it's easy for it to slip them net so that means certain regions there'll be pockets every so often um but i don't have a list per se of every trainee that i could contact and say this is this wonderful opportunity would you like to get involved um i can ask the rcr to help send out the message but there isn't I can't get an access, yeah. access yeah. to those ST1s. It, it is frustrating, isn't it? And these rules and regulations do exist for a purpose. I've had conversations with organisations who, you know, and I'm not 
you know, wanting to do that flagrantly or inappropriately, but really valuable information they have about individuals who've been received certain awards or something. And I'm literally having a conversation with them, looking at the list and saying, yes, well, I can see all these people, but I can't really share it with you. And what I think needs to be looked into and actually a solution found is to how to know when it is absolutely appropriate or when the consent can be obtained at the point of entry into such registers for people to be able to either by default or opt out or however you want to put that, say, yeah, I would want to hear about these things because it's difficult to make decisions on people's behalves with this, um, with these regulations in place. It's frustrating, but I do see why they're there. Okay, let's just come on to how you have been selecting your projects. You told us about the first baby steps, as Margaret called them, abdominal x-ray audit and subsequent imaging. Uh, Nathan, tell us a little bit more about how you have selected subsequent projects. What's that process been like? Thanks, Tom. Uh, so actually, when we first started, we weren't exactly drowning in projects. Uh, so after the abdo x-ray project, COVID hit. And then so we had the idea to do a few COVID-related studies which we got off the ground. And then subsequently, we had trainees and consultants get in touch with us uh, to propose other projects. And as long as they sounded reasonable, we, we just went with them. Uh, but in the future, at the upcoming meeting on April the 29th uh, at the RCR, we'll have project pitches and we'll have a more structured process for choosing projects um, for the future. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that um, we try to be interactive and ask people what they want. So at our meeting um, in when April, end of April, we are actually going to ask people what they want from the network. Because there's no point you trying to decide what you think people want. It's, you know, actually, what do they want? And then we'll, do, we'll work on that. Okay, so that's that's really interesting. So what I just wanted to reflect on again is that there is this organic needs meeting nature is that, you know, you're interacting with the network and the network is telling you what it feels that it needs to address. And clearly COVID has been a huge factor in directing what the output would be. In fact, Anmol, why don't you tell us about the prize-winning research that you had at the British Society of Thoracic Imaging in 2021. Tell us about what that project was, because that's definitely the acme of responsiveness. So following on from the abdominal X-ray project, we were looking at new projects to do. And I think at that point, we would just discuss between ourselves in a little mini committee meeting and say, you know, what project should we do? Bounce ideas off each other. And I think, Prof, you might have mentioned something at that point about, you know, COVID, could we tap into COVID? And it's that contact of Prof knows quite other people, you know, people in the other academic network that Nate and I don't necessarily know, uh, being, put, being put in touch with Dr. Arjun there uh, from UCLH, and he's been an excellent consultant supervisor for this project. And from that, we ended up getting an idea for two projects, one based on CTPAs and the other on test radiographs. And that project we started uh, back in October of uh, it was 2020. Um, it was our first I think much larger project, we ended up getting quite a lot of uptake from trainees. So we got over 50 trainees involved with data collection from across over 20 sites. So it was a much bigger scale than the abdominal x-ray project. That helped propagate our members. So most people that helped to collect data were then interested in Radiant. And it's been an interesting project to lead and manage because it's I guess a skill set I haven't necessarily had before leading a multi-centre project or two of them uh, simultaneously. And we were recently, back, I think back in November, awarded a prize um, as an oral presentation at BSTI. And that was very encouraging to see. And I really want to thank all the members that contributed to this data because without the network and you know 50 other trainees that led to help collect this data, we would never get to the point where we are now. Well, that strikes a really interesting point about how one then recognises the involvement from everyone and at their different levels. So when it comes to publication, and I'm sure people would like to understand more of how that works and more. perhaps you could elaborate on when someone contributes to the Radiant projects, what recognition do they get and how can they put that on their CV? Um, how can they show what they've done and how they've been involved? I think that's something that's been a bit fluid and we're still learning the process. So we've had a couple of discussions um, with the committee and what we want to do is keep it very inclusive. Um, we would want anyone that contributes to data to be acknowledged. Um, how that gets acknowledged in terms of publication and um, 
mentioning depends very much on the paper we realize as some journals will be happy with radiant um, publishing as a collaborative others not so much so so we're trying to negotiate that at the moment and work out the best balance for us but i think going forward it's something that we need to discuss um, as a committee other net research networks have a very clear stance on what you know you, the way you should describe um, your mention your contribution on uh, your cd um, others you know have um, audit or research assessments that the committee can fill out for you. So I think those are all discussions we probably need to have and they can develop in the future because I can see, you know, in the next five years, it would be very easy for a trainee to tick a box on Kaizen and say, yes, I contributed to a radiant project and that to be acknowledged in ARCP outcomes as well as a mention on their CV or publication that they can put down. That's a really good point, isn't it? That's a very neat way of thinking about it because it's about the perception of the involvement. I think if you think about authorships, we know that if you get papers, for example, in Nature, which have like 200 authors, they've all done something or data has all come from them, genetics often. Um, and this is you know, equally important that every single person is contributing and it could be a bit of a cultural mindset change on behalf of the imaging journals to understand that this power which you're clearly demonstrating you know margaret referenced to some uh, something in the pipeline at radiology prize-winning research output that it clearly works it's doing something that should have been done anyway in terms of networking and bringing in multi-center research so the power is is huge i do just hope that it just becomes culturally just completely recognized that you were involved in that you have had a totally valid and engaging and rewarding research experience. Okay, we're coming towards uh, you know the completion of our discussion over everything that's been about Radiant. So Nathan, can I ask you then what you think the next steps will be? So I think we will continue to expand um, in terms of, uh, I can see that the trend uh, at least anecdotally, seems to be that trainees that are now coming through radiology seem to be more academic. I think that's in line, at least in my mind, with the increasing competitive um, nature of the application process. And I suppose in the future, like radiology in the UK will probably trend towards becoming more academic, I would have thought. Uh, although right now there's still loads of work that needs doing, I suppose, in DGH, like and everywhere else, there's loads of scans that need reporting. Um, and so Back to your question, I think the committee's going to expand. Uh, we're currently at 15 officers, and that's probably going to increase further. Uh, and we like to take on more projects and get more people involved, really, and just um, spread the network and um, create more opportunities. Now, I'm no business expert or understanding of leadership structures and how these things work. But what is clear, again, is that this is working for you. Anmol, what do you think the next steps are going to be for Radiant? I think we're on this sort of momentum. Nate and I have been building this up for the last year or two, and I'm at that point now where I feel like there's so much momentum behind this. We've got so many enthusiastic members on the committee, and you know, if we can have a few more, that output would be great. I can see things developing quite a lot from the techn technology side of it, the website developing, our publicity is developing with a Twitter presence and the RCR support, um, our outputs of projects. We've started with uh, audit projects and kind of built it up. I can see us going, uh, collaborating with other networks, starting something perspective and um, getting more involvement with the academic trainees. I just feel like we're at that cliff point where it's everything has been building up for the last year or two. And I can really see Radiant taking off very soon. And it'd be really nice to see that um, develop in the next year or so. And that's despite all the logistical challenges. And that is also testament to everyone's um, drive and commitment. And also, interestingly, and some of the thoughts I played around with almost a decade ago with, you know, virtual teams and virtual leadership and how this can still work. But wouldn't it be nice to all meet up and have a really, you know, fab dinner and a few drinks and just to embrace that social side of it? I would love to, um, to just meet all of you and just feed off that energy and that inspiration that you will bring. And now that is part of it as well. Um, I'm just adding there, there is an opportunity on the 29th of April to come and meet us and we can all hang out in person <laughs> and... Maybe grab a Fantastic. few drinks too, yeah. What is happening on the 29th of April, Nathan? I'll pass you on to Anmol, uh, who's been doing a great job organising that. So Friday the 29th of April, we have our annual meeting. It's going to be held at the RCR. Um, we're also going to have a virtual presence if you can't attend in person. Um, we have got an exciting range of speakers lined up. 
So we've got a statistician from um, UCLH. Tom's going to give us an excellent talk about stats. I feel like a lot of radiology trainees um, are baffled by stats and it's a great introduction to the day, uh, followed by a brainstorming session where if you've got a project already, we're really encouraging trainees to bring projects. You can, you know, contribute to brainstorming as well as perhaps even lead the project that you're going to tell us about, uh, followed on by um, a couple of competitions we've got lined up. So we've got a quality improvement and service evaluation project. We're quite keen to encourage trainees to display their QIPs and service evaluations they do anyway for ARCP. And this is a great way of doing that in a supportive uh, trainee uh, setting. We've also got a logo competition, as you might have noticed on our website, we've got Radiant in a blue box that uh, Nate, Nate's kind of put on our website, but we would love to get entries for um, logos. So if you do have anything exciting and you're creative, please submit logos. We've got our logo competition up until the 22nd of April, I believe. Um, and then uh, I think wrapping up the day, we're going to look at uh, our regional networks we've had a role called regional lead so there was a lead for each network per se and I think that's something that probably hasn't worked out as well as we wanted to and the consultants like I mentioned before we'd like to get more engagement so we've got a couple of consultants coming across uh, so Jonathan Rodriguez from Bath um, so to have a discussion with them and see what they think how they can develop their networks regionally because a lot of the other uh, research networks like Burst and Raft have a very well-established, so that's the urology and the anesthetist, they've got a well-established um, regional presence, so we would love that. Um, and then to wrap up, uh, we're just going to talk about our future directions, so talk about what uh, the future for Radiant holds. Oh, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, really informative, getting to meet, you know, people that are going to be inspirational. Oh, well, yeah, well done for, for organising it. Well done, um, everyone, for, you know, getting to this point, which has been a remarkable journey to be just on the margin of, but to, to see it grow and see it be a success. Nathan, why don't you just tell us also, because it's really important that uh, people know how they can get involved. Tell us how trainees can get involved with Radiant. Thanks, Tom. That's a great question. First of all, you can get in touch with us uh, at our email, committee.radiant at nhs.net. Uh, you can also follow us on our website. That's www.radiantuk.com. And also uh, feel free to come to our events, such as our meeting at the RCR on the 29th of April, or of course, contact us via Twitter. Yeah, so it's been a big journey for everyone involved with Radiant. Amal, why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about what have been the most important things that you have taken from your experiences with this whole uh, initiative? I think the most important thing is having um, a good partnership. So I really, really appreciate my co-chair, Nate. So having someone to bounce ideas off, someone that's approachable, someone that you can contact any time of day if you need to do something quite quickly. Um, so I think having that communication and really good partnership, and hopefully that translate and translates as our committee develops into a really good um, committee as well, has been the key. Because without that, I don't think Radiant would have developed into what it is just now. Uh, that would be the cornerstone. And then the rest, I think, it is more research-based um, skills. So how to set up a project, writing a research proposal, finding a, a, the appropriate supervisor, um, finding support when you need it and where from. So I realise Prof uh, answers your emails all the time as well. So you can contact Prof on the weekend and she'll reply. She very quick turnaround. Um, and then how to write something up and lead, because I don't think I've done many kind of management or leadership roles. So Regan's been really good at being supportive, very friendly, um, letting you develop your skills and confidence in a very organic way, as Prof's always been, been mentioning all the way through this. And that's been, I think that's changed probably who I was uh, compared to what I was like to, uh, a year, year and a half ago. Um, so if you are thinking about Radiant, you know, there's several skills you can develop across the board from leadership to leading a project, a multi-centre project. Now oh, that sounds wonderfully transformative and I'm also getting this sense of um, enjoyment that like I just you know I can see everyone at like the 20 year radiant reunion saying oh I remember when we did that and how that and look where we are that is such a neat little thing to 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 look forward to and uh, Nathan can you tell also tell us and add to what you think you've um, taken from your experiences with radiant thanks Tom um well I just like to echo what animal said because She's been fantastic to work with. Um, she's super understated, actually, like phenomenal um, researcher and radiologist. Uh, so uh, 
you know, I've been really lucky to have her, you know, uh, work alongside me and it's been really great. And of course, Prof has been the guiding light through all of this um, and really has uh, supported us in every way that she can. So yeah, thanks, Prof. Uh, but what have I learned from it? I suppose uh, work, you know, team working skills, committee skills, uh, that's not something I've really been involved uh, in with in the past. And I think it's been great to, to bring a team together and uh, try and uh, move this uh, group forwards. Um, so I think that's probably the main thing. I also learned how to make a website, although not really truly making a website as my friend Peter, who is helping us with the website pointed out. Um, it's, I've been using Wix, uh, so I haven't really been using the HTML or the Java or whatever, uh, but still it's good to uh, learn new skills as well. Yeah, get there any any anyhow you can. That's the most important thing, I think. Some, sometimes just getting out there. Yeah, good, excellent. And you know, Margaret's far too humble to to say that or admit to it, but she, you know, is an absolute legend, a beer moth in mentorship and guidance and education. And I just remember her at the start, just being there and just bedrock another another analogy to help all of this grow. So it's just been amazing the influence and the role that she's had in it. It really wouldn't have happened without her. As we come towards the end of the podcast now, I've found it's always a really interesting perspective to put people into thinking about where they are going to be in 10 years time. It's not an easy question to answer. I was going to ask you what I, where you felt Radiant was going to be, but I think Radiant is its beast in its own right, and we just have to see what happens. Uh, but Nathan, where do you think um, you, you personally are going to be in 10 years time? I think 10 years is a long time, and so probably difficult to say. Um, there could be a number of you know different possibilities. I think one of them is certainly working in a tertiary neuroscience center um, and hopefully you know, maintain an interest in research um, and skill up and potentially have been on a fellowship abroad and yeah, hopefully do some good stuff for for our patients. And Amal, what about you? Where do you think you're going to be in 10 years' time? I think it's a hard question, Tom, and it sounds very much like an interview question, doesn't it? Um... <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's not meant to be. Yeah. It's just a, a bit of light fun. So I think I've toyed about this quite a bit. I think just started a locum consultant post and, you know, where do I want to end up and where do I want to be and what do I want to be doing? And that's, I've been reflecting on that quite a lot recently. Um, I've dabbled with academia. I have a current clinical lecturer post part-time I do. And it's that thing where you're like, do I want to go into research further? And I've always said I dabble in research and I have done since I started with Radiant. I always say I dabble. And I think that's Going forward, I'd quite like to be a clinical radiologist that dabbles with research. So, mm. you know, do clinically relevant research that's going to make a difference to mm. my specialty of radiology. Uh, if there is multi-centre things like Radiant has led, then I'm more than happy doing something in a clinical capacity. And I think Radiant's given me the skills to do something like that if I wanted to in the future. Um, I love GI radiology, so I still imagine myself being in the GI world, probably doing ultrasound because I love um, colonic appendix colonic ultrasound so I quite like I probably see myself working in a center that can support mm. that just going to call back to what Tristan said in the last episode about the perhaps should we say the hardcore academic training being a pyramid and that some people at some stages decide that they just don't want to, to, to do it it's not for them um, but they have gained experience every step of the way and you've also mentioned about how ACFs have become you know more involved and wanted to get involved now I don't see any reason why this can't reach across the entirety of academic positions academically committed people people that don't know or people that don't want to be involved I just see this as such a fantastic fantastic opportunity to give people experience take it forwards and so you've just said you know yourself you're not sure that's absolutely fine you know I started my consultant post five years ago I had some ideas I wobbled, wobbled one way wobbled the other things progressed things developed but I think this is the essence of Radiant that it gives you the opportunity and we need more and more people and I am expecting a, a huge cultural shift in 10 years time when these trainees have come through and they've been in their consultant posts for a couple of years to be saying yeah well we did this we did that we know what we're doing that influence um has been something that just then trickles down or rather like it's like a waterfall down onto the trainees as they come up and it's like automatically they'll be being told about radiant and how to get involved and you can see i'm getting all over excited i'm talking far too much but it, 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 the idea is is so simple and it's worked so brilliantly
So I think that's about all we have time for this episode. It's been an enormous pleasure to talk with you, Anmol, Nathan and Margaret. And I wish you and all the Radiant team the best of luck in 2022 and, of course, beyond. Thank you so much, Tom. It's me that's reflect on Radiant and looking forward to, to see how things develop. Thanks so much for inviting us, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. As we wrap up, huge thanks, as always, go out to Charlotte McKeown and the Royal College of Radiologists events team and the college itself for supporting this podcast. And of course, thanks to Sue Mercer for her invaluable sound editing. As usual, show notes will be available at the RCR website. And if you have any questions about what we have discussed today or any other matters related to academic radiology, then you can email them to conf at rcr.ac.uk. That's conf at rcr.ac.uk. And you can also seek me out on Twitter with the handle at Tom Termizai. I'd love to hear about your ideas and views on everything about the Crash podcast, including guests you'd like to hear from and any crash test questions that we could ask to put them on the spot. And seriously, this time, how could you possibly forget about Radiant? <laughs> Remember to check them out as guided by Nathan and Anmol and their website, www.radiantuk.com for more information and get yourself and your training scheme involved. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a shout out on social media platforms, tell your colleagues, contacts and co-conspirators, give us some likes and subscribe. I've been your host, Tom Termazai. Until next time, stay safe.